0: So we are going to read from the Bible, and we'll be in a little bit all over the place in the New Testament today. So we'll be in uh, Luke chapter 8, um, which is uh, the primary place you can hang out in. So if you want to have a, if you have a Bible, Luke chapter 8 would be a good place to be. I'm going to read from Luke 18 and Hebrews 2 as well. And, um, and please follow along on the screen. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The 12 were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's Herod's household. And Susanna, and many others. And these women were helping to support them out of their own means." Now let's skip down to the bottom. Chapter and verse 19. Now Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him, but they were not able to get near him because of the crowd. Someone told him, Your mother and brothers are standing outside waiting to see you. And he replied, My mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. Then Luke 18, verse 18. A certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You should not commit adultery. You should not murder. You should not steal. You should not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, who then can be saved? Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Peter said to him, we have left all we had to follow you. Or oh, Truly I tell you, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. And finally, in Hebrews, chapter 2, verse 5. It is not to angels that he is subject to the world to come, about which we are speaking, but there is a place where someone has testified, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, a son of man that you care for him? He made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honor and put everything under their feet. In putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them, Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them. But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters. In the assembly, I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here am I and the children God has given me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Kirsten's going to come up and bring God's word to us.
1: Good to see you. My name's Kirsten, if I haven't met you before, and it's my privilege to be speaking to you from the book of Luke today. And kind of fitting on Mother's Day, we're talking about this idea of family. And I wonder what comes into your mind when I say the word family. Family. Maybe you feel an immediate surge of love and affection. Maybe you feel more feelings of frustration, or exhaustion, or hurt. But maybe, for many of us, it's a bit of a bittersweet mixture of both of those things. Um, Many of you will know that I recently got engaged to Tim, and we've just started doing some premarital counseling with Pete and Jackie, and one of the first activities they had us do was to draw a picture of our families. We weren't allowed to discuss it, Uh, we were just told to draw whatever came into our mind uh, when we thought about our families. And I promise we didn't cheat, but we actually ended up drawing exactly the same thing, uh, which was our respective families sitting around a dinner table, sharing a family meal. And yes, at first I thought, oh yes, just another sign, we're on the same wavelength and perfectly compatible. Uh, But (laughs) as we were asked to talk about these pictures in more depth, it became very clear that even this pretty common, pretty universal act of sharing a meal together as a family meant quite different things for each of us. The idea we each had in our heads of family represented totally distinct sets of dynamics, memories, emotions, and relationships. And if two people of generally the same age, the same cultural background, can have such different experiences of the same thing, then there's no denying the challenge of developing a common vision for what family is when we're discussing it as the church, being, as we are and as we should be, a really diverse group of people from all walks of life, all socioeconomic backgrounds, cultural backgrounds, religious backgrounds. We're drawn together by nothing other than a shared belief in Jesus as our Savior and Lord. And this is even more challenging when we come to learn through the Bible that God isn't just concerned with how we live within our individual nuclear families, but he tells us loud and clear that as his people, we're more than just a social group or community organization or even a religious society. As the church, we are family. And when we actually live out this reality as God intended, it will make us seem a bit strange to the culture around us, at best, It might sound a bit quaint, a bit cute. And at worst, it sounds kind of like a cult. But the reality is much more powerful and more beautiful and more difficult than this. So today, as we look at some of Jesus' teachings about family in the book of Luke, we'll be looking at the reality that we're family, the risks that come with being family, and our resources for living as a family. So let's start by looking at the reality that we're family. So if you want to open your Bibles or flick open your Bible app on your phone to Luke chapter 8, we're going to start there. And we read in the first few verses here that Jesus is traveling around from village to village with a group of his disciples and followers, teaching people about the nature of God's kingdom. And we didn't actually read this section, but um, one of the parables Luke records Jesus telling here uh, is about a farmer who's sowing seeds in his field with varying levels of success. While some of the seed he has falls on rocky, infertile ground or gets eaten by birds or choked by weeds, a small amount of it falls on good, fertile soil where it can take root and grow. And Jesus then explains to people that this parable shows how not everyone who hears his message will receive it and allow it to take root in their hearts and lives. Now, immediately after this, perhaps even while Jesus was still teaching and preaching, a message comes to him that his mother and his brothers are outside and that they want to see him. But rather than going out to see them or inviting them to come and join him, Jesus replies, my mother and brothers are those who hear and do the word of God. Jesus' words here are pretty confronting. And if they're confronting for us now, can you imagine how much more shocking they would be to the original listeners? They lived in a culture where there was no real individual identity, or individual wealth, or achievement, or glory, but your whole sense of self and status depended on your family. In short, it was a culture where your family was your everything. So at face value, Jesus' words are not only shocking, but they also seem to go against all of the Old Testament teachings about honoring your family, honor your father and mother. His words sound a bit callous, careless, even cruel. But we know that it's not in Jesus' nature to be any of those things. So we need to think a bit further about what he could have meant. Now, a few chapters prior to this, in Luke chapter five, um, Jesus tells the Jewish leaders of the day that his new wine is going to burst open their old wine skins, meaning that his teachings are not just going to be a little bit new, a little bit different, they're going to completely shatter the existing categories people had for understanding God and how to live as his people. But this doesn't just mean that Jesus was throwing out the Old Testament and all of its laws and principles. As he himself explained in Matthew 5:17, "Do not think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them." So, Jesus isn't getting rid of the command to honor your father and mother. In fact, he just reaffirms this command in Luke 18, as we read just before. Uh, When he's replying to the rich young ruler, he says, honor your father and mother. But what Jesus is doing here is even more revolutionary and strange. He's fundamentally altering our understanding of what family is. Like new wine that's bursting open old wineskins, he's exploding the limited vision we have of family as being biologically or legally determined and showing us the true reality of what family is in his kingdom. And this family includes all people who receive and accept Jesus, the true word of God. And this is one of the key distinctives of Christianity, and it's something that makes us a little bit strange, even amongst other religious people. Because when we come to believe the message of Jesus Christ, we don't just become followers or worshippers or servants of God, we actually become God's children, God's family. But how is this possible? How is it that a bunch of ordinary, everyday, imperfect people can come to call the holy, almighty God of the universe our Father? In Ephesians 1, uh, verse 3, it says that God chose us before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. And that in love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. So we read here that we don't work to earn our place as God's children. Notice how this verse does not say God chose the holiest, nicest, smartest, best behaved people in the world to be his children. No, he chose us as the weak, needy sinners we were to become holy and blameless through Jesus Christ. And the verses we read before in Hebrews show us exactly how he did that. If you want to read with me from verse 9 in Hebrews chapter 2. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. So Jesus suffered. He suffered pain, the punishment of pain and death for our sins so that we could be forgiven. But not just be forgiven, his sacrificial death and triumphant resurrection won for us the right to be God's holy and blameless children. By becoming a little lower than the angels, by being born into our weak human flesh. Jesus, the one who is now gloriously enthroned above all angels and powers, is not ashamed to call us his brothers and sisters. And this truth doesn't just change our individual identities. The change isn't just a vertical one between us and God. It also profoundly changes our relationships with other people. In the Bible, Jesus describes the act of coming to faith as being born again. And we know that a baby isn't just born into kind of an isolated existence, they're born into a family and a network of relationships. No matter how close or distant or even unacknowledged those relationships are, it's just a biological truth that every child that's born is somebody's child, somebody's grandchild, someone's great grandchild, and probably someone's niece or nephew, or brother or sister. And in the same way, when we become a Christian, we not only get to call God our Father, and Jesus our brother, we're immediately given a new identity as a part of the whole family of Christians. And that means that wherever you go in the world, when you meet another believer, you can honestly look them in the eye and say, hey brother, hey sister, they're your spiritual sibling. And just because it's extra awkward with so few people in the room, why don't we do that now? Just turn to someone around you and just say, hi brother, hi sister. It's weird, but like we're doing this series called Strange People, so we've got to do some strange things, right? (laughs) We've just got to own it. (laughs) It does sound a little bit strange, but if we believe in Jesus, this is the reality we believe in, that we are a family. And this is why uh, when Peter points out in Luke chapter 18 that he and the disciples had left everything they had to follow Jesus, Uh, Jesus replies to him, truly I tell you, no one who's left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. What an amazing promise. This blessing of having a new spiritual family isn't something we need to wait around for. It's a reality available to us now. So no matter what kind of earthly family you're a part of, no matter how close or estranged your relatives are, whether you're single or married, whether you feel really well connected and supported or completely alone, if you are a Christian, you can honestly say, I'm loved, I belong, I have a family. In the church, God has given us brothers and sisters to care for us, to serve us and to support us, to help us grow in our faith, to celebrate with us in our joys and journey with us in our sufferings. It also means that if you are someone who calls yourself a Christian, you can't fully live out that identity and truly seek to obey God if you're not regularly in relationship with and engaging with your brothers and sisters in Christ. It's a key part of who we're called to be. And living out this truth That our spiritual family is as important as our biological families is something that will look really strange in our culture. Because, sure, some people might be willing to join a hobby group or a sports team or a political or community organisation with people who are maybe a bit different to them, but will they commit to loving and supporting them like a family? Will they sacrifice their time, energy, money, individual preferences? to practically love these people who maybe sometimes are a bit annoying or difficult or just different to them. The rare person might. But as a church family, it's really what we're all aiming to do. Because like all younger siblings, we want to be like our big brother, who for us is Jesus. And like the best of big brothers, Jesus helps us through his strength, grace and example to love others as he did. But let's be honest, loving each other as family can be really hard, especially when we're tired, when we're busy, when it's inconvenient, or when our family members are really, really getting on our nerves. We know from experience that being, being part of a family means sticking together through every season of life, including seasons where others are at their absolute worst or where we are. And it's here we start to run into the risks that come with being family together. So to begin with, I just want to acknowledge the real sense of risk we might carry when talking about this topic if you've been hurt before, whether in your earthly family or in a spiritual one. The picture I just painted of a beautiful unified network of love and support is a spiritual reality that will be fully realized when Christ returns. But for now, in a sinful and broken world, it's an ideal that can be really far from our lived experience. So if you have been hurt by others in your home, your family, or your church, I'm really sorry. And I just want to recognize any sense of fear or pain or discomfort you might have around this idea of being family together. And if that is your situation, it might take you a bit longer to grow to trust the people around you and to reshape your vision of what a healthy, loving family could look like. Another risk that perhaps more of us face is the risk of being asked to give too much to our spiritual families, or having too much taken from us. If you're someone who's already feeling completely exhausted and overwhelmed by life, this might be what you fear. Maybe you work grueling hours in a demanding job. Maybe your kids aren't sleeping well, or maybe just when they're awake they're so draining that you just have no energy left. Maybe it feels like all your friends or other family members are going through hard situations and there's all these people depending on you for support. Of course, you don't want to neglect your biological family or your friendships, and you shouldn't. In fact, in 1 Timothy 5.8 it says, anyone who does not provide for their relatives, and especially for their own household, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So we know it's right to prioritize caring for our immediate relatives, but this can make the idea that on top of that and on top of all our other responsibilities, there's now this whole other group of people we're supposed to care about and give our time and energy to. I can just seem like too much to even think about. On the flip side of this is what I'd call the risk of being real, which is really the risk to our pride and to our egos. Basically, this is where We're pretty happy to offer our care and support to others in the church family, but we'd never be vulnerable enough to accept that help in return, because that would mean admitting that we're not perfectly capable, competent, self-sufficient beings. And this is a funny one, because on the surface, we can make it look like we're really good at this whole being a family thing, but in actual fact, we're always holding ourselves at a very safe distance. And to be honest, I think this is one that I've really struggled with. It was really brought home to me a couple of years ago uh, when I had to have major surgery on my hip. And it was 2020, so the middle of Melbourne lockdowns, and I had to get a hip replacement. So that meant a week in hospital on my own, because with COVID, you weren't allowed to have any visitors. And then I had two months alone in my apartment, hobbling about on crutches, trying to learn how to walk again. And in a normal situation, my mum and dad would have dropped everything to come and look after me, but they lived in New South Wales, so they weren't allowed across the border. And I had planned out in my head all these ways I was going to perfectly manage my rehab alone at home. But before I could do that, my wonderful MC and church family stepped in with offers of assistance. But the weirdest thing was that even in the middle of a pandemic, after major surgery, where I literally couldn't walk or even put my own socks on, I found it so hard to admit I needed help. The offer was there, but I just had this weird sense that I couldn't accept it. And I realized I had this big issue with pride that I had to get over. And I'm so glad that by God's grace I did because while I knew it was theoretically true, there's nothing like having to depend on the love and care of your church family to show you that They really are your brothers and sisters. But in order to experience this, we have to allow ourselves to be vulnerable, and that's really scary. So there's all these potential risks that might make us want to put this idea of being family into the too-hard basket. But we need to know that these risks are nothing compared to what we risk when we choose to not live as a family. So I'll say that again, the risks that come with living as a family are nothing compared to what we risk if we don't live as God's family. Because first of all, rejecting our spiritual family brings huge risk to ourselves. If we don't commit to regularly being in Christian community, we're basically putting our spiritual lives on the line. We cut ourselves off from one of our key sources of encouragement, discipleship and spiritual growth. Of course, it's important to have time alone with God in prayer and in his word, and it is God who ultimately grows us in our faith, but he's designed the church family to be one of the primary ways he does this. And if we ignore that truth, we ignore opportunities to develop our spiritual gifts, to be challenged and corrected by the counsel of others, and to be spiritually sharpened just by the act of being together with your brothers and sisters, And not seeing yourself and living as part of a spiritual family also has risks for your brothers and sisters in Christ. It's not just you who needs your family, it's your family who needs you. Every member of this family has an important part to play. And refusing to honour those commitments to one another means you're kind of robbing your family of the opportunity to be blessed by your gifts and your service and your care. Or just the simple encouragement of your presence. I mean, imagine if just none of us showed up on a Sunday, or if we all decided, oh, it's a bit too much effort to ever meet together outside of church as MCs. Can you imagine the impact that would have on our spiritual lives? I think this is why the writer of Hebrews exhorted the church in chapter 10 to not give up meeting together, but to keep thinking about how we can spur one another on to love and good deeds And this leads us to the final thing we risk if we try to live out our Christian lives as separate individuals, rather than in the reality that we are a family in Christ. John 13 tells us how just before his death, Jesus left a final command with his disciples, which was as simple and as hard as this. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, Everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. How can we love one another if we're not regularly together and in one another's lives? The way we live together as a family is one of the loudest and strangest witnesses to the world about who Jesus is. As we seek to faithfully love and serve one another as Jesus loved us, the people around us can't help but notice how strangely and beautifully attractive life in God's kingdom can be. If we give up on the idea of having a spiritual family because the risks seem too great, we actually risk missing out on one of the greatest blessings, the greatest encouragements, and the richest resources for living this life. We risk being disobedient to who we're called to be as Christians. And we risk our significant role In God's mission to see his kingdom built on this earth. So what can we do when the stakes are this high? We long to be part of good, loving, healthy families. And we know how crucial it is for ourselves, for our brothers and sisters, and for our world. But we still carry around these fears and barriers in our hearts. Well, we need to come to the one who brought this family into existence. The one who makes it possible for each of us to even be here today. The one who gives us the resources to keep living as family, even when it's hard. We need to come to Jesus. For those of us with deep wounds who fear being hurt again, please know that you have a good and perfect father in God and a completely trustworthy brother in Jesus. He entered this broken world, And came to know exactly what it was to experience physical, emotional and spiritual pain. Yet, he endured and overcame all of that so he could be the one to heal all of your hurts. And when we realise how each of us has rejected and walked away from God our Father, going our own way, breaking his heart, but then seen how he never gave up on us, but gently called us back to him, opened his arms in forgiveness and offered healing to our own broken hearts, then we can find the power to move on from what we've suffered and find the hope and the courage not to give up on the family of God. I'm not saying it's easy or that it will happen quickly or that it should happen quickly, but as Jesus promised his disciples, what's impossible with man is possible with God. For those of us who struggle with pride and are really scared of being vulnerable with each other and asking for help, Let me say this, Jesus, the eternal son of God, the only one who's ever been perfectly capable of anything, who calmed storms, drove out demons, healed the blind, raised the dead. The Lord Jesus was still never above being helped by others. And in fact, he made a point of it. If we look back at Luke chapter eight, in the first few verses, it was telling us that Jesus was traveling around, teaching, not on his own, but with his disciples, but also with the help of all of these women who he was relying on with his disciples for financial support. Jesus asked the woman at the well if he could have some water. In his hour of greatest anguish in the Garden of Gethsemane, did Jesus put on a brave face and pretend he was okay? No. He asked his disciples to please stay with him and pray with him. If the Lord Jesus wasn't above asking for help, then I don't know who you think you are and I don't know who I think I am if I can't bring myself to do the same. And you know what? We won't do the same unless we're reminded of who we truly are before God, that we were totally weak and helpless in our sins, unable to do anything to earn God's favor. And yet Jesus saw that weakness and he didn't turn away in horror or laugh at us in judgment, he looked on us with compassion. Then laid aside his own glory, entered into our weakness, and died a humiliating death, so that we could be given a glorious and unshakable identity in him. As Hebrews 2:11 promises us, both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. As we allow the truth of who we are in Christ, to melt away our pride, humble our hearts, and give us a real sense of eternal security, we'll find it much easier to lean on the family of God to give us help and support when we need it. And this is also good news for any of you who are sitting here feeling like, I'm already totally exhausted and overwhelmed, maybe fearing that being part of the family God is just going to take too much from you when you have nothing to give. Because if that's you, then guess what? you need your church family more than ever. I don't want you to hear the application of this passage as you have to do more and be more and serve more and give more, because for many of us, the biggest application we need to draw from this is call on your family. Call on your brothers and sisters. Let them know when you're struggling. Ask them for help. Ask them to babysit for you or come and help with your home reno project, or ask them for a meal, ask them for prayer, just ask them to come and hang out. Because our sense of being a spiritual family is built exactly the same way as it is with our earthly families. Over a long time, sharing the ups and downs and the most mundane moments of our life together. You don't always need to be your best self, you just need to be there for each other. So on the days weeks or seasons where you do have the capacity to do so, keep making intentional efforts to be with, love and serve your spiritual brothers and sisters. And in the times where you feel like you can't, reach out and be blessed by the incredible gift God has given us in each other. Whether we're on the giving or the receiving end of this familial help, God is glorified when we live out our identity as his beautiful, strange family. Let me pray for us. God, our Father, we thank you for this privilege of being able to call on you as our Father. We thank you so much that even when we rejected you, when we were running from you, you came to seek us. You came to bring us back into your family as your dearly loved children. And we thank you for sending Jesus, who came to us in our weakness, who knows exactly what it's like to suffer at the hands of others, but showed us how we can still faithfully love through that, that he loved others all the way to the cross. Thank you that we have such a perfect big brother to help us as we learn to live and love one another as he did. And Lord, we thank you for the incredible blessing it is to be part of your family, with all these brothers and sisters to support us. God, we thank you that you chose to show your love and care to us through other people, that you use this spiritual family you've given us to grow us and shape us and mature us. So God, would you keep giving us grace and strength to love one another as family, even when it's hard. And Lord, would you do this so that the world around us would see we can only do it because of the radical, beautiful way that you have loved us. God, so that your kingdom would be built on this earth and all glory given to you.